Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that scours the minds of fascinating folk for any tips to live better and happier lives. I'm Fern Cotton, and today we welcome another champion podcaster to the show, one who has spent many years as a spoken word artist, overcoming obstacles along the way. It's Scroobius Pip. I had the comedian Dylan Moran on the podcast, and that's a name I can't say. I've always stuttered on it, but someone taught me a technique that if you tap the syllables out on your arms, so again, if I do it without, it comes out as... Dilla Moran, and it gets stuck. If I tap it out, I can go Dilla Moran, Dilla wow. Moran, Dilla Moran, and stuff like that's fascinating. Pip has had some amazing guests on his own show, Distraction Pieces, which you should definitely check out. In fact, this is a great place to start discovering what his show has to offer. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, here's the show. Pip, this is—I'm so happy to be sat about to talk to you. This is a joy. I'm delighted it's happening. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a friendly podcast world, isn't it? Like everyone's nice and everyone seems to get on, and, and yeah. I'm sort of meeting a lot of other podcasters. Yeah, you know, by going on each other's you know episodes, and it's it's a nice world to be in. When I moved into podcasting like five six years ago, that was the thing that stood out the most because yeah. I used to have a show on XFM, and I used to argue with the guys at X constantly because. If I heard a song on, Z- on Zane's show on Radio 1, I wanted to say, I heard this on Zane's show <laughs> yeah, on Radio yeah. 1, but you couldn't mention anything. <laughs> and it's like, everyone knows that Radio 1 exists, everyone knows that mm. XFM exists, but you were kind of, you're, you, you were handcuffed to not r- reference anything. Whereas in podcasting, we'll happily talk about an amazing episode we heard it's last gorgeous. week. And, it's yeah. gorgeous. I, I absolutely agree. It's just sort of, I guess it's liberating all round because, again, yeah. coming from a radio background, there are a lot of, it's a joyful medium, but there's a lot of restrictions, whether it 100%. be, you know, the time you interview someone for or what you're playing or the, or even the subjects that would be relevant to the audience, whereas... You know, we could sit here for an hour and talk about cheese if we wanted and it would yeah. be acceptable. Yeah. You could do a podcast about cheese and someone would listen. Whereas yeah. on the radio, it's a no-go. So it, it's it's freeing. The thing is, if you did a podcast about cheese, I guarantee it get the, the most response <laughs> of any episode you've got. Because people, they, they like that change and yeah. that excitement. But as, I mean, as a format, about two years into doing my podcast, I really learned the importance of it. Because I, 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 on my podcast, I have famous people but, but, but then also have just interesting people yeah. and i did um a podcast with um a woman who was y- using the name mira and it was i was working with the safe housing for women ch- charity and Mi- and th- this podcast was set up by a bigger charity i won't say because it's it's if i name them it's going to sound as if i'm being negative about yeah. them which i'm not at all um 
but it was set up by a bigger charity and we had this conversation and Mira was brought to this country in sex tra- tra- trafficking and I kind of as I do with any heavier subjects I say we can go into as much or as little detail as you want because I hate the kind of the grief porn and tragedy mm. porn that's kind of become a thing these days with documentaries about Harvey Weinstein and yeah. stuff like that so uh, sometimes you don't need all the intricate details it's ugly enough at a glance um but Mira had decided at that point that she'd only just realized that she hadn't done anything wrong and that it was the people who had drugged her and exploited her and blackmailed her they were the ones who'd done something wrong so we had a conversation and she cried I cried everyone that listened cried um the larger charity I was working with chose not to push it because they felt it was too raw. And again, it it was that realisation that that conversation as it was couldn't have existed on the BBC or, or on ITV or anywhere, anywhere else yeah. other than podcasting. And I'm a big believer in you shouldn't censor survivors. Because yeah. one of the biggest problems, with particularly with rape and things like that, and particularly with young w- women, is that they've been told, you shouldn't talk about mm. it. You shouldn't talk about that kind of thing. It's such a young women tr- traditionally have had diaries that they keep all their secrets in and that's that's a big thing in stopping them mm. from talking openly and being open about their issues so i wasn't willing to edit this conversation at all because if that's how mira if that's the detail she wants to go into and how yeah. open she wants to be then it's not for me to say it's a bit raw well, it might be a bit uncomfortable but this it's is like, the thing it's, it's someone else's time and space yeah. isn't it and, and we hand that over to people that we think are going to lend themselves to that hour or however long it is 100%. and that's their time their yeah. space and they can take the lead and that's can, why yeah. i think a lot of people are now hooking into it because you got on there early you know yeah, you've been doing yeah. f- five years yeah. did you just say five years yeah just you over. were one of the first people out there who was you know really kind of making high profile yeah. brilliant podcasts i got into it maybe a couple of years after that but still early enough for it not to be hugely mainstream yeah and in the last sort of year two years we've just seen this amazing influx of people wanting that long form content that yeah. before i was certainly told nobody wants that for an hour yeah. or nobody wants that or even if it's you know visual nobody wants to watch something that's more than five minutes people don't have the concentration span yes they do yeah. and they are lapping it up and it's it's wonderful a wonderful world to be in so you as you said you've had a plethora of incredible guests on mm. your show. I just re-listened to a couple the other day and I, I loved the Eddie Izzard episode yes. a lot. That just felt like you guys were just chewing the fat. You were just having a wicked chat about all... It went off on all these brilliant tangents. That was a really important one for me because really? it was one of the first times I got onto a press junket. Because generally, because I won't accept less than an hour, because no, I know right. they need to be a full conversation... I wasn't on press junkets for ages. And in the same week, I had Eddie and I had Michael Fassbender. Right. And they both gave me 45 minutes to an hour. And they both happened to be ones that we'd never met, but we just clicked. Mm. So both Eddie and Michael went back to their PR people saying that that was their favourite conversation. And part of it isn't me. Part of it is they're doing the same 10-minute conversation all day. And then they get to have an hour-long conversation. Of course I'm going to seem like the best conversations (laughs) in in the world because it's not the same questions for over and over again. So those two have then opened up that I get to go and have an hour with Mary J. Blige when she was over. Just these amazing people who... Everyone else on the press junket is getting 10 minutes or 15 minutes. On that Michael Fassbender one, his next slot was a 15-minute slot with six journalists. And I was like, how have I managed to blank this? But Wonderful. it was those ones that, yeah, that made that made people realise that 
a more in-depth conversation isn't going to feel like an advert. Mm. And that's what these things should be. Because the advert for me to go and see films is my investment in the people involved, in the actors, in being a fan of those people. So hearing them talk for an hour and realising they're real people is going to do so much more than a billboard or Mm. or a trailer or a two-minute thing on the news or whatever else. I so agree. And and when you approach... Uh, these varying people. What yes. is there sort of like an underlying place you always want to get to, or or an underlying s- essence of them that you want to bring out? What is, do you have a target or a goal? Yeah, although my podcast will generally sound rambly and messy, and, and we're going to be recording one after this, <laughs> so you're going to have to experience all the tangents that we go off on. But I can't wait. Despite all that, it is more planned. I, I will generally try. Um, Number one, the most important thing is I want them to enjoy it as a conversation. It's mm. why when I get laughed at a bit, because my actual podcast gear I bring around with me, it's this huge case. But it's because I want to have tabletop mic stands, things like that, because I don't want them holding a mic, because that f- feels like an interview. I want it all to feel like we're just looking at each other and having a chat. But equally, I'll generally, if there's any way, and it sounds egotistical, but there's a psychological reason for it, quite early on in most conversations i'll try and get a story in that's something from my life but that i know connects to them in right. some way so that we've got that link i in the studio we're in now i recorded with kano next door and i was adamant to mention i'd worked with bashy recently because i know that they went back like to school days together so it's that instant thing to go right it's no longer I'm a journalist and you're the yeah, interviewee. So it becomes just two people talking. And mm. I'm aware that it's a double-edged sword because on the surface that could look like I'm just egotistical. And in every episode I'm trying to go, this one time I was uh, <laughs> I was doing this. It's like, no, I try and get that in early to get them relaxed. And then, as I said, it stops being a promo Well, chat. you do it because I've had that quite a few times. More so because some of the podcast guests I get on will be friends or people that I've, I've yeah. met a couple of times. And... That's instantly nice, isn't it? You yeah. know, okay, we haven't got to worry too much about... I, I can kind of read how it's going to go. But then with the bigger, you know, the stars or yeah. people that I've never met that are on junkets or are coming in to do a press run, you do need to find a moment where you are just two humans sat having a chat. And the one example from, from this series of Happy Place where... I definitely felt that was actually in the studio as well with Jada Pinkett Smith, who obviously I'd never met and I love and think is amazing. And she walked in just looking ethereal and amazing and gorgeous. And I was shitting myself. And for the first 10 minutes, it was a bit, I'm interviewing her and she's kind of waiting for me to ask something triggering or whatever. And then I, I probably subconsciously went down the road that you're talking about, tried to find some subjects where we're just two women, two mums, yeah. two hardworking people connecting. And there was this little moment and I was like, ah, oh, we've done it. We've clicked. And then we just had a wicked chat for the next sort of, you know, the rest of the hour, yeah. maybe 45 minutes where we didn't see the microphones. We didn't, I wasn't worrying about my notepad. I wasn't thinking about anything other than we're just really exploring some great subjects as two women. And it's, it's a nice... It doesn't always happen. It's mad, isn't it? I've had some that haven't been yeah, like that. Completely. <laughs> but it, when it does, it's wicked. It's such a buzz, isn't it? And it's buzz. mad because it's... We will be more hyper-aware of that because mm. we know what we're trying to achieve the, than the listener. Uh, one of my favourite episodes from this year was with Mary J. Blige, and it's because the first 20 minutes or so, at least, it's just a press junket. Mm. We're just... We're not getting this connection. And then we 
just stumbled onto the subject of hip hop and because I've got a good knowledge of that mm. and I've grown up on it, she suddenly, her eyes lit up and we could have a conversation about how big he was when she first met wow. him to when he, at, at the end and things like that. And it changed it all. It meant that we spoke about how troubling it is to be a, one of the first people who brought R. Kelly into the public mm. eye. And we and we talked about some heavy, and it was only brief, yeah. but I felt if we hadn't had that moment, I wouldn't have asked those questions. It's because we got to that comfort point. I was ready to dump all of this yeah. heavier stuff, yeah. but we just found that moment and it just meant it got there and it, it meant the world. I'm I'm aware that there's probably listeners who listen to the first 15, 20 minutes for, um, this doesn't feel, this feels a bit, much. I'm going to go on to something else. But it's like, it's that thing that we will know when we've had that breakthrough oh, and it will mean so much more than when it's someone that we just connect to from the start, maybe. Because yeah. it's that achievement. You know, it gives you that pat on the back of going, you're actually all right at this. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. just having a chat with people. Yeah, exactly. It's actually, there's something, there's, there's more to it. There. Yeah, <laughs> that imposter syndrome, that imposter syndrome is constantly there. Yeah. So it's that thing of going, you did good there. That mm. wasn't an easy one. And it's weird because it is a feeling. Like I, I've, I've definitely walked away and I haven't been able to necessarily articulate what it is, but mm. you go, that felt like we were just really connecting and having a great conversation. Yeah. And then other times you walk away and you just feel a bit numb, like rarely, thank yeah. God, but yeah. a little bit like it was just me firing questions off or whatever. Completely. I mean, I think we've probably been both quite lucky that we've had some amazing guests that have been yeah. willing to go there and that really helps. And I think it's also, I can I can sense that similarly in real life, you know, whether it's... Um, I'm meeting someone about a job that I might have been tentatively offered or or even chatting to a friend and you don't know how to broach a subject and then you ease into that space where you go, oh, I can go there and it's going to be all right. And it is a weird visceral feeling rather than it being like, and then I said this and that happened. You know, it's like a real shift of... Of energy, it's a nice, it's a nice space to be in. For it's sure. l- it's l- lovely. And and how have you found um, the the ones that are with people you you know a bit better because they can be mm. equally as re- as rewarding. Because if I'm meeting up with a friend in a pub, I'm not going to ask him about his upbringing no. and and when he moved over to this country and and how challenging it was. Things like there's been conversation I've had with people that I've known for years and I've come out like I didn't know this person at Same. all. This is so beautiful that we because we're so. Because of our politeness, and it might be a, a British thing, we've, yeah. we've very focused on the past week. Mm. We might not have seen someone for a year, and we'll go, have you been? Yeah. And we'll talk about what they've done in the last week. And it's like, right, well, there's been this whole year. There's there's so much more to talk about. But we, it's, yeah, it's a weird thing It feels awkward, humans. doesn't it, sometimes? Yeah, it has to be go, recent. Yeah, and also to, to talk about subjects that are less comfortable. Yeah. And, and that's, again, why I think podcasts just work so beautifully is that you weirdly it's like a little safe bubble it's like a safe space yeah, and it really I just is. went on Elizabeth Day's podcast and I talked about things I've never talked about and yeah. even some of my best mates like I have never uttered the words that I said to Elizabeth because it just it felt awkward or weird to bring up when it's like how was your holiday oh let me tell you about this dark time you know you yeah. just don't go there but I had an experience like that on the, I think, second or third series of Happy Place with a friend of mine called Chris, who is the founder of a charity that I work for, that I'm a patron of, called Copperfield. Yes. And she's living with stage four cancer. I've known her for 10 years. And we have some honest chats, but we'd never acutely talked about death because I'm not bringing that up. Yeah. She doesn't want to necessarily just talk about that freely. But we'd had a, a sort of 
root around that subject before we started and just to check her comfort levels. And I thought if she ends up heading towards there, we'll see what happens. And yeah. she was just wonderful and so honest and raw. And then I felt very comfortable pushing her a little bit on that. And yeah. and not only was it a lovely episode, which I think helped a lot of people going through similar things or knowing people in their family going through similar experiences, but as a friend, I felt like I really understood what she lives with daily, you know, on a much deeper level. I never can fully because yeah. I'm not her, but, of course. but it really helped me... Um, it just took our friendship to a new level, I think, really. Yeah, it, was, it was wonderful. It's conversations that you don't realise people are probably itching to have, mm. but no one will bring up or go into. I think we're as we're recording this, it's a day after a World Mental Health Day. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I've learned from years of working with Calm and, and, and numerous other mental health charities is because of the stats of how many people str- str- struggle... Odds on, if you talk to your friends about the struggles you're having, they're going to be going through something similar and they're going to be so relieved. You build up in your head, I don't want to be a burden, I don't want to pressure them with this. They're going to be so relieved that someone's brought it up so they can go, oh, wow, actually, I'm really struggling. But similarly, I'd imagine in a situation like that, death has to be at the forefront of your thoughts every now and then but none of your mates are going to bring that up because that's so heavy and depressing and how lonely is that Mm. that there's there's this thing that you're regularly going to have to face but you're not going to talk to anyone about it you're going to be facing it on your own so because you sat down for a podcast it's like oh well yes I do want to talk about this I'm Mm. I'm very aware of it if you're slightly aware of it this is my life yeah of course I'm thinking about this every day let's Mm. let's discuss it let's chat Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Have you noticed the sort of impact that your podcast is having on your listeners? Do you, you know what sort of feedback do you get, and what sort of subjects have been the ones that have really triggered people to, yeah. to reach out to you and say, you know what, that for me was bloody game changing. It's almost always mental health based. Yeah. Um, it's why I don't really do much. Like I have people ask, "You're going to do a podcast special for, of, of a World Mental Health Day?" And I'm like. Have you heard the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Don't Almost need to, everyone I talk to <laughs> comes up with some kind of issues or struggles. And I was really lucky that early on, the two that jump out, I had Gal Porter on yeah. and I had, I had Eddie Temple Morris on. And both of those guys, this was within the first 10 or so episodes of my podcast. So this is equally, it's early days in podcasting in the UK. They both really opened up about, Eddie spoke about when he tried to take his own life and where he got to and how he was at work that day, like how he interacted with people knowing that that's what he was thinking of going to do. And that was huge. And Gail Simley spoke about when she was um, committed into into a mental health institute because she had, had hit some really low points and she spoke about living day to day with struggles and mental health issues and insomnia and things like that. And, their podcast that they are f- five years old and still 
I'd say it's probably at least once a month now. For a long time, it was at least once a week. I, I would get a message on social media about someone had gone back and heard that episode and it had, it had resonated with them. And that really... I think I was lucky with that because it kind of s- set the tone f- for the podcast from the guest point of view, if they're aware that it's a safe place to talk about that kind of thing. And from my point of view, that realising that people do want to talk about that kind of thing. And again... My priority is always that it's an enjoyable conversation, yeah. so I'll never push. Kind of before we get rolling, I always say, "This isn't hard hitting journalism. This is a conversation. Yeah. If we get somewhere you're not comfortable, then we'll just steer off. I'm not going to keep coming back to it and say, you mentioned earlier that yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. no, we can move away from that. But equally, if you feel you want to talk about it, mm. go ahead. It's 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 a. I think there's something w- weird about the safe place of podcasts because they're so um bespoke yeah so people are choose as you said earlier people are choosing to give that hour and to listen to it so i i mean how rare is a podcast scandal mm. compared to a radio interview scandal or a tv interview scandal things so like true. it's because journalists by their nature these days are lazy and mm. they're not going to listen to an hour to, <laughs> in the hope that there's some little ju- juicy bit if the podcast says I'm going to send that clip to a journalist and try and get press. That's a different thing. Yes. And most podcasters aren't in that world. So I've had some really huge, deep, emotional things and real uh, kind of breakthroughs in podcasts that haven't been reported in the press. And then a story will come out like two years later and I'll be like, yeah, we discussed that two years ago (laughs) on a podcast. I just didn't go, I'll send this to the sun. Kind of to get that that hype and stuff. Isn't it funny? It it, it makes it a safe place in that way because everyone listening has chosen to be there and it feels like it's it's a secure circle. It's not like the difference with radio is so many people could happen to tune in yeah. or could hear it in the background at work or so many other things a podcast you've gone there you've clicked download you've chosen a time to put it on mm. it feels safer in that way and i think that's why we've not had any of these big podcast scandals yet yeah i always feel like when i'm doing radio i'm very much in other people's territory like mm. i'm i'm in their workplace their home and i'm respecting that but when it's happy place i feel like oh no i'm welcoming you in it's a real different feeling yeah. like, i'm welcoming you guys to come and listen so this is what i do and this is how it is you don't have to love it but but it's not going to be what you necessarily want it to be this is how i like it whereas yeah. when i'm doing radio it's like i respect that i could be in your car in your workplace at home when you're traveling and i am mindful of that but this yeah. does feel yeah like you have more own it is empowering in that sense and i think the guests probably feel the same that they know they're walking into you know not kind of sort of a hostile tv studio or something that feels a bit scary it is just a nice free free platform to have a chat yeah. um weirdly going off on a slight tangent my brain's gone Ooh, memory <laughs> bank um Gail Porter was so lovely to me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. So when I was about 15, uh, when I started out in TV, she was brought on to do a few episodes of one of the live TV shows I was doing. It's called Dig It. And she was there to sort of like mentor me and my co-presenter. Wow. And she used to like take me to the Trocadero on the days off that we had and go on all the rides and... Like, really lovely. And yeah. I haven't seen her for a long time. And you've reminded me, I've, I must reconnect because it's people like that. You think, you know, I've never forgotten that. She's she absolutely kind, the best. I've kind. In general, because I'm a bit antisocial and I get in my own head a lot, I dread bumping into people. 
in the street. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting. If, if, I, if I'm prepared, it. if I'm prepared to, yeah, if I've planned to see someone, yeah, it's fine. fine. If it's out of nowhere, Gail, I bumped into at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it was a joy. It was one great. of the few ones that I'm like, yes, this is great. In general, I'll look and go, oh, there's someone I know. Even if it's someone I love dearly, I'll be like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. I'm not in the social mode. I've got headphones on. I've been l- l- listening stuff. I'm not ready to be engaging and happy mm. and nice and charming or whatever else it's I like but you. Gail I was like hey it's Gail you know what <laughs> I um, I was listening to something you did the other day and you were saying it's the first time I've heard someone talk about this honestly and I just was like I literally virtually high-fived you you <laughs> said um, I don't really like having fun and I was like yeah. shit nor yeah. do I I'm not into I've it I've never heard anyone say that I've it- never <laughs> swear in my life I've never heard anyone go and I've always thought what the fuck is wrong with me like why yeah, am I no. such a freak I love work this is fun yeah, to me yeah Completely. I I like the research bit. I like chatting. Yeah. I like thinking about it. I like brainstorming new ideas. That is fun. Yeah. Going out to have like loose fun where you don't know what the fun is. <laughs> yeah. I can't fucking stand it. Hate going out. And you were talking about yeah. you love New Year's Eve, but New I, Year's Eve yeah. isn't going out. This is being yeah. in your home and cooking. I stay home. I cook and I I, I choose the film months and months in advance. Fucking and I have a film brilliant. and it's just. But again, I think. It's like my mates laugh at me for it a bit. And again, they still think I hate New Year's Eve. I love Mm. it. I just do it differently. But I think there is something deeper there in that we have these prescribed ways of how you're meant to enjoy things. Like birthdays are a prime example that I've known people who their birthday is more of a chore to them because they're trying to please everyone else because they're meant to have this party. They're meant to do this. They're meant to do that. If that's not what you're into... Just have a quiet meal, or just do this, or just you know what I mean. Do whatever is yeah. is right for you. It's your birthday. You shouldn't have to do what. And 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 again, New Year's Eve is exa- exactly the same. There, there's that pressure to go out and do all these things. It's like I don't particularly want to be in a club the rest of the year. Ugh. So why on the biggest day of the year would I go into a really busy club and with people? It's kind of a joke. It's weird I say that because I, I run a club night as well. But there's kind of a joke in the club night industry that New Year's Eve is for people who don't normally go out. Mm. And they don't really know how to behave. That's why it gets messy and there's fights and there's all sorts of stuff because it's their one night out a year yeah. and it's like you don't really know how to conduct yourself in a room full of strangers. Mm. You're acting really inappropriate and it's mm. going to cause it's issues. Funny, so like, I'm not a big drinker. Well, I barely drink. So if I do go out and everyone does sort of go to that next level, I'm not with them. Yeah. So then I'm like, I just want to have a chat like this or yeah. like going out for dinner, great. I went out for dinner with a couple of mates last night. Like by half nine, I'm definitely ready to go home. Yeah. But... I'm having a nice time just, you know, having a chat and having a laugh. But when you're, like, in a noisy place and you don't really know, like, what you're meant to be doing, and I just thought, I've never heard anyone admit that. Yeah. So, thanks for that. No problem. That was a I, real good one, especially had, New Year's Eve. I hate it. Oh. I've had a realisation recently. that I've, I've always felt the reason I never moved into London is it's a bit much. There's yeah. so much. It's so intense, all this. And s- someone pointed out recently, it's like, you've never moved into London because Essex is a really good excuse to leave. <laughs> So at half nine, I can say, oh, I'm gutted. That's I've so really true. got to be getting off. So I'm really, true. I wish I could stay, yeah. but I've really, I've got to get the train. I've got to get all the way back. It's like, it's just, I've planned my whole life around excuses to leave That's places great. so I can go, oh, it looks great, but I'm, I'm just going to have to make yeah. a move. Sorry, guys. I've, I've just started saying, <laughs> I've been really honest and just said, I, I'm not coming to your party. Yeah. And I don't even say why. I just, I'm not coming. And, I, yeah. and all, like, I'm not coming to your wedding. Like, big things. Because yeah, I, I don't... I can't, I can't feel comfortable in that. Like, obviously, yeah. it was one of my dear friends, yes. Of course. My parents are exactly the same. So, 
my mum and dad like hate going out anywhere unless it's like small with their mates Sonia and Alan, and yeah. then they're they're happy. And um, everyone loves a night out with Sonia and Alan. Obviously, does. that's different. How can you not? Yeah. But my mum and dad for years had a a big lovely golden retriever, so always it was like, oh, I've got to get back to Wilf. Wilf sadly passed away two years ago, so now they go, oh, we've got to get get, we've got to. Um, we're going, and yeah. there's no. They still act like the dog's there, and he's not yeah. there. They need a new excuse. It's really interesting as well because, again, I think a lot of the pressures are put on by ourselves massively. The fact is, everyone else there. This is going to sound harsh. They're not going to care that I'm leaving. Yeah, they're having a wonderful time. They're really focused on <laughs> pulling or meeting it or doing this or meet having this business connection yeah. or whatever. They don't really care. So I had that realization as well. I don't need to give a big excuse. Yep. I can just go. I'm leaving Bye-bye. now. Okay. Now I was going to be like, why are you leaving? What's going on here? What's what's the story? It's like, no, I'm just leaving. It's not the end of the world. Again, there will be certain... I've always been lucky in my in my circle of friends. I think it's important in the kind of industries that we're in as well because we could have six months where we don't have time to see any of our friends. Yeah. And you have to have the right friends to be all right with that and yeah. not to guilt you over it or to kind of be like, you're not a good friend or anything mm. else. I've, I've been lucky that the circle of friends I have, we can p- p- pick up after a year, p- particularly when I was doing music more and touring. Yeah. You could be away for eight months and we could just pick up and it'll be like, we've not it's missed so a day. Good. And that's important. It's so massively important. And also just how like sporadic and weird our careers mm. are. You do just want just normalcy and grounding and like yeah. to know those people are there in whatever guise and whenever and yeah. they're not bothered about what your actions are yeah. um one sort of underlying sort of i guess undercurrent of all of happy place i think i'm i'm sort of getting this realization now with most of my guests is either i've been attracted to interview them or they've ended up weirdly sort of fatefully being on the podcast because of uh, a definitely sort of a maverick like quality yeah. people that do things their own way couldn't give a shit about what the general consensus is, uh, if it fits social norms or if they're going along a trajectory that is, you know, culturally, regularly referenced. They just yeah. do their own thing. And and I definitely feel like you are one of those people in every bit of your life. Like I, yeah. I knew from being at radio and whatnot and going to lots of festivals what your music, Scroobius yeah. Pip life was. Yes. But didn't know so much about your earlier years. And, and the research that I've sort of been looking into recently, it's like... You seem to have always been that person, the person that just went, I don't give a shit that everyone else is doing that. I'm I'm going down this road. Would you yeah. say that's true? Yeah, completely. And I think it's part of it is luck. Cause really? When, we, uh, when me and Dan Lassac made Thou Shall Always Kill, I was living in my bedroom at my mum's house. Um, I recorded it. He sent the beat over. I wrote it. I'd kind of had some loose lyrics. I wrote it and recorded it with in the the, the running time of the film Forty Year Old Virgin because Dan emailed it and then put that on. And when it finished, my no email way. came through going, "Here's my vocal." So we know the exact. That's that's kind of that's amazing. That's that's the Great length of it. So well. the fact that that became our big breakout track, we wrote that not expecting anyone to hear mm. it. We thought our mates might hear it, and that's it. So the fact and again, you know, it meant the world that that was getting daytime play on radio one and all these kind of things and it was a song that had no chorus it didn't have kind of the verse chorus verse chorus type thing it was one long kind of rant so because that was the one that broke through it kind of allowed me to have that confidence of just do what you think's right and Mm. then it'll find its it'll it'll find its home and it's 
its place. And even before that, when you before you'd released that single, if I'm yeah. chronologically correct, you were going out gigging, but you were yeah. performing to people in the line waiting to go in to watch other artists of a yeah. similar sort of genre to you. Yeah. And I can't even imagine what sort of confidence that takes to go, you guys don't know me, you don't know this song, I'm just a random guy walking up on the street, but I'm yeah. going to wow you. Like, yeah. where does that come from? Um, I, I'm a big believer, so like, on, on things like writing, or projects in general, right. I think the way to complete a project is to have a project you want to do less. Mm. That's, 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 that's really the key. There's one that I'm trying to avoid, I'll get everything else done. <laughs> it's like, I, I can't face that, I don't want to do it. And I think it's a similar thing there. Before I was performing to cues. I was just performing in town centres and I'm not a natural performer. It, it didn't occur to me that I'd quit my job and quit everything and I hadn't actually performed live once. Mm. I'd kind of... But, but again, I think the good thing there is that, you know, if you've got something to fall back on, you're probably going to fall back. So I didn't have any options. It had to succeed. And that was... I think that's a good motivator. But because performing in town centres was so horrendous, performing in front of a line of music fans, it was like... This is a treat, and it's wow. why I ne- I've never got nervous on stage because it's like I'm in a venue and they actually want to hear me. Mm. This is easy. Fine. This is this is gold. <laughs> Normally they're they're in a queue, being like, "Who's who's this guy?" But again, it's it's. I think I over overthink things, so I had certain psychological things there as well. I was adamant I wouldn't ask for any money because I think British people have a default setting that we look away or we don't right. we don't want to address. We do well, it with buskers, we do it with homeless people, we have anyone who could quite rightfully be the exact kind of person that we would want to give some money to because we've got that money and it's spare but we're so in a a look away and I have to adjust it now I naturally kind of if someone is coming down the tube I'll look away and I'll be like actually I've got some change on me Mm. they're having a rough time people always say oh they're going to spend it on drugs or alcohol it's like it's a yeah, probably. But you yeah, also, it's probably. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, Why wouldn't so. you? I I'm so. not, if I'm living on the street in such a horrible situation, I'd, I'd probably want to drink. Yeah. I'm not going to be putting it in my college fund. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's rough times. It's completely acceptable, and so right. hopefully it'll go on food as well and shelter and all these other things. But so, so yeah, I think that was kind of choosing not to ask for money. I had flyers that had my MySpace page on them. Oh, the MySpace days. So because again, I was adamant as well that no matter how much i kill it and again that's the the biggest hope that i'm going to kill it and it's going to be great it might be over but let's aim high no matter how much i kill it they're then going to go and see a band that they love yeah so they're going to forget me right so i need to have something in their hand so in the next morning they wake up and it had to be pocket sized i do i've given you a copy of you a really pod, thought this through yeah I've, I've given you a copy of, of pod bible magazine which is our podcast magazine we do and one of the things that was having it pocket sized because no one wants it in the moment but if they can just tuck it away and then at that at that right time, yeah, they'll yeah, find yeah. it and look at it. And that was the thing on the flyers. It was give them something so when they get home or when they wake up the next morning and they're still remembering the gig, they're still remembering the boy or g- girl they might have met mm. and things like that, they'll go, oh, what was this? Oh, I remember that guy. Wow. And were you able in those moments to sort of mitigate worry about what their reaction would be? Because I think most people who certainly work in the public eye, you yeah. know you're getting a reaction. That's kind of how it works. And especially that's exasperated now with social media and how people can instantly contact you if you're on radio, yeah. after a podcast. But when you're there and you can see faces yeah. and they are reacting to what you're doing, were you able to kind of just block that out, create a bit of a force field to do what you needed to do and not worry so much about what was being mirrored back at you? Kind of, yeah. I think all these things, it's about reframing. 
and I think that's a really powerful thing for our own mental health is is reframing things. So with that, I'd kind of go, right, this performance has no pressure because they're still going to go and see the band they love. They're going to see an actual booked support act rather than some bloke who's turned up outside. So this is all just a bonus. Mm. So I'm not... My name isn't on the ticket. So the pressure isn't on me. I can just turn up and go, here you go. Here's some extra stuff. And I'd say that at the start. I'd say, you're going to watch a lot of bands, but here's an extra set. I'm going to do four or five songs. Hope you enjoy it. And that would tend to go down well because it's it's reframing that of thinking that I'm not... Yeah, it takes the pressure off me because like, they're not going to care. If they d- and again, it's it's realising as well that people are in their own world as, as, as so much. If I'm rubbish, yeah. they're going to forget about it for five minutes later. They're not going to spend all night going, do you remember how rubbish that bloke was? <laughs> do you remember that awful guy that was outside early? It's like, no, no one cares. Everyone's in their own world. And that's- I think that's rare. Like, you talk about it very sort of, um, in a relaxed way, but I think it's rare. I yeah. think a lot of people out there, especially if they want to break into the arts or something yeah. that isn't, you know, doesn't have a linear process like going to uni and then getting a master's and then getting a job. Yeah. And, not, and I'm not saying that's always linear, but, you know, you can go down that path. A lot of people go, oh, it just, it will never work out for me. How could I leave my job? How could I take that risk? How could I just turn up and perform to a queue? And I do think that's exceedingly rare. And I wonder if you built up a certain resilience at school because I know, another thing I was totally ignorant about was that yeah. stutters can often be caused by trauma. I had yes. absolutely no clue until I did yeah. some research into this and it's a terrible ignorance to have. I just assumed it was, you know, just something you were born with and that's yeah. how it is. I did as well until oh, I was really? like 13 or 14 and I had hypnosis and regressed back to the traumatic incident where I was, I was in, in France as a four-year-old and almost drowned yeah. and that seems to be what started it. Mm. But again, I think those things, it's probably, I started a lot of this, I started in music at 24 or 25, rather than at 16 or 17. Yeah. So I think there is a slightly more logical and calm and levelled approach, but I find all those things fascinating. I find it fascinating that I've got this thing, this stutter, that has been a huge part of my life for my whole life, really. I don't really understand it. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. The fact that this actually... comes down to a podcast episode i had the comedian dylan moran on the podcast and that's a name i can't say i've always stuttered on it but someone taught me a technique that if you tap the syllables out on your arms so again if i do it without it comes out as dylan moran and it gets stuck if i tap it out i can go dylan moran dylan moran dylan moran and Stuff like that's fascinating. Like rather than getting hung Isn't up it on it, it's like how, how mad is the brain? Yeah, exactly. And is that in a similar sense to how you do your spoken word and I your think music? It must is, there be. A, is there a power in just holding a microphone and knowing that you're in that mode and yeah. there is a rhythm to it? Yeah, and therefore something in your brain switches where you just get into a, a flow. Is it like a sort it's, of a yeah, fluidity? It's, it's about a strange how you're one because I completely think that's it. I think partly it's you're in a slightly different mode. You've changed gears slightly. You're in performance mode, or you're in this, or you're in that. So, particularly with a rapping and spoken word, it's got more of a, a rhythm to it. So that helps. The the thing with a stutter, um, I did a I've, on October twenty second. It's International Stammer Awareness Day, and I did a podcast interviewing um, a load of people with stammers. And one of the things that the way we kind of described it was 
you want to try and get a running start at things. Yeah. So once you're off, you're off. Right. It's, it's, it tends to be fine. And it's why I'll often sound as if I'm um, thinking or confused because I'll add um, uh, at the beginning of a word, but I'm not. That's just to give me that running start. Right. So I'm not getting stuck on the D. So uh, Dylan Moran, I can do that without tapping. Right, I'll right, add right. an er uh, because it's like I'm not start. It's that hard start that that's that 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 trips people up. So things like that are kind of it's fascinating. But I think the problem with that is going back to performing is knowing that it's something that you can kind of switch to, but you don't have complete control over. I think it means it can get overlooked as an issue or a disability or whatever else. Because right. that is telling you it's psychological. You've got a way of managing mm. it. If you can do it like I act now, I've, that's my f- focus in my career now is acting. And I don't stutter on set. I've learnt my lines. I've got it ready. Mm. In conversation, I will stutter. So the fact that it seems like it's something that can be fixed. Again, I think the biggest argument is it doesn't need to be fixed. Of course not. It's not a broken thing. It's a way someone speaks. It shouldn't be this big deal. It should be... like I I always use the example. I do um, CrossFit and stuff. And my trainer, Sam, is from Newcastle. He's way harder to understand than me. But just because he's got a Newcastle <laughs> accent, I've got to start. Like you, I'm, you can get what I'm saying far easier than what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. It's just a difference in yeah. the way people speak. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I think because of that, because of there being some kind of mystery over it and it's seeming like it's a psychological thing, I think it can get overlooked. And the fact is, one of the things we talk about the most in life as a right is f- freedom of speech. And it might sound grand, but people with a stutter haven't got that. There's mm. certain words I can't say. There's certain words I've trained myself to dodge in a sentence like i think that's the reason i've got a good vocabulary like when i started in spoken word and rapping everyone assumed i had a really good education i didn't i think it's just through years of going thinking a sentence or two ahead to going i'm going to stutter on that word i need another word for right. it right and replacing it and i think as a survival mechanism i built a really good vocabulary not through education through dealing Indeed. with this 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 stutter so yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it, it, whilst I play it down a lot because I think it's just part of me, it's not a big deal. I also think there are people who struggle with it a lot and it's yeah, a huge part of their life. It's, it's every day. If, if you imagine, yeah, not having f- freedom of speech, n- not being able yeah. to go into a shop and ask for something, mm. feeling that you're going to feel like an idiot or feel you ju- judged as you're in this. But you've turned it into like your superpower. Like this is yeah. you, you, and you've empowered lots of other people. Again. It's By reframing it. everything. It's, it's reframing everything. It. I reframe everything. It's 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 funny. I'm, I'm the the acting class I'm doing at the moment. They kind of talk a lot about how, well, you know, there's certain characters, and we're all artists, so we're this kind of thing. I'm the most logical person in the arts. I feel because I'm so <laughs> married to, to logic, but, but but I use that to to make all these these things work. To go right, it's not going to be a scary thing. I'm going to reframe it. It's a positive thing. And the same with all these things. It's it's readjusting it and using that to get over all my um, carefully hidden weaknesses and, and, and downfalls yeah. and whatnot. So, but where does that come from? Because I'm imagining either you had, you know, a family that were able to um, encourage that sort of resilience yeah. and, and robustness by reframing stuff and having a positive outlook and not feeling because you could completely and I'm sure there's many people listening and for whatever reasons if they have a stammer or anything else going on in their lives that they find communication specifically really difficult that it can completely strip you of your confidence and make you want to completely close up not say what's on your mind and and we all know how you know you and I specifically are 
pretty obsessed with language, I would yeah, assume you're yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. I am communicating in the power of speech to other people, to yourself, how you talk about yourself and and, and how you do frame things. And I And I wonder if that was just... Is that how you are inherently or has that been encouraged and by osmosis have you got it from other people around you? It's a combination of the two. I was lucky to have parents who are very... They were always... Particularly where I live in Essex, it's a it's a commuter town. At school, we were kind of trained that we're going to go and work in the city. That's what you do. But my parents were very much said... I always remember my mum saying early on, well, if you work in a corner shop, if you're happy, I'm fine with that. I mean, I want you to be the the best at working in a corner shop mm. in the world. I want you to have that drive, but as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter what you're earning. So there's an element of that. But then I think part of it is kind of innately in there because I always remember that that kind of touring and playing in front of crowds, queues outside gigs and stuff like that, I did all of that in the north long before I came and did it in the south because right. the idea of playing in front of my friends mm. was terrifying. And again, it's also being aware that I think a lot of local bands get egos early on because they play in front of their friends every time and everyone tells them they're great and they've got this huge ego it's like no one outside of your town knows who you are so my thing was to go and play everywhere else they would assume that the fact i'm playing in manchester i must be big down south <laughs> you know it was a complete lie i had my cd made and all this so it's and then but by the time i came down south i'd kind of built a following on myspace and stuff like that so it was that kind of that fake it until you make it so mm. It was building a character. It was building Scroobius Pip, I guess. And yeah, but it's so good. I just think you saying that will give a lot of people um, either the awareness that there is a lot more choice yeah. to what happens in our lives and it is how we reframe things and it is taking huge risks because you have by yeah. leaving jobs and whatnot yeah, and giving things a go and believing in in what you do. And I think, you know, I've been there so many times where I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's not going to work out or there's too much risk or I'm not good enough or whatever. But actually, just fucking get up and give it a go. Yeah. If it's, if it's not going to work out, it's not going to take up that much of your time then. <laughs> go and do it. It's going to be over in a month. You're going to have failed. Let's yeah. just get it done. Let's get it out of the way. And if it doesn't, sweet. That's I a bonus, that. isn't it? I love that. It's very simple and true, but rare. Yeah. So I love that. Completely. I really love that. Um, oh, I don't want this chat to end, but uh, Matt is doing this high-fiving yes. thing, saying we're running out of time, and I'm about to go on your podcast. Yes, the good thing is we're going back I'm to back, really so it's going to be good fun. <laughs> more chat, but um, Scroobius Pip, thank you so much for your, you. for your time and your energy and for your your wisdom, because I feel like there's a lot of things people can take away from, from what you have to say in general on this pod- podcast and elsewhere, so thank you so much. Thank you, it's been an absolute pl- pleasure, and I look forward to turning the tables yeah. shortly and uh, getting back. Thank you. Oh, thanks again, Pip. What a brilliant man you are. His podcast, Distraction Pieces, is an absolute blast and you should definitely check it out. Find it on all the same platforms as Happy Place. And if you haven't yet, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on any other podcast app that's out there. And to find out who's on next week's show, find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. Thanks again to Pip, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and you gorgeous lot for listening. I'll see you Monday. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.